1: What's your vision of God's purpose for you? Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and to depend on his power right now. Not in the future, but right now. This is the only time I can depend upon him. If I stay calm, if I stay faithful, and I'm unconfused while in the midst of a trial or turmoil, the goal, the purpose of God's life is accomplished. His purpose is the process itself. What he desires is for me to look at him and see him walking on the water.
0: You're in training, but it's not for the future. It's for right now. Trusting in Jesus is walking in obedience moment by moment, as Pastor Dave teaches today. If you only look to a certain time coming up, you'll miss what God has for you right now. So embrace the training process while engaging in the present. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 7, as he continues his message, Witnessing Through the Patriarchs.
1: And you know that they sold him into slavery and they convinced dad that Joseph was dead, that he was attacked by an animal. So you see, Stephen is saying, so see the very beginning of the patriarch, the very beginning begun on begrudging. People begrudge those that had abilities. And you guys have continued this begrudgery. You have continued this attack upon people who come and tell you things ever since. And you took it all the way to Jesus Christ. You continued this. This is your beginning, patriarchs. You're looking at the patriarchs and going, oh, look how holy they are. Well, you better look at them again. You better study what they did because they begrudged Joseph and sold him. But look at the second part of verse 9. But God was with Joseph. I love to Scripture when you read Scriptures and you're coming across a real rough time and all of a sudden you come to a part that says, but God. Let me read for you a passage. A passage that the Apostle Paul wrote. You don't have to turn here, I'll turn there for you, and I'll read it to you. It's the book of the Ephesians, and in chapter two, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and he says this in chapter two, verse one But you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? Sounds like a pretty bad state. And then Paul says, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God. I love it when you come to those I love it when you come to a passage and he tells you all those bad things. This is what you were. This is what you did. This is how you acted. But God. Here he says, you know the patriarchs were envious of Joseph and they did terrible things to him, but God was with him. God was with him. Here again Stephen goes and he emphasizes the spiritual presence of God with Joseph. Joseph didn't need to go to a temple to worship God. First of all, he couldn't go to a temple to worship God. He was in Egypt. There weren't any temples there. But God was with him the entire time. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that, and that was recorded in Hebrews 13.5. But God was with him. See, that's our promise. That's what we live for, God with us. We're going to study in a minute Christ in us, the hope of glory. Unio mystica that we learned in the truth project. Christ in us, the hope of glory. How wonderful. God's very presence in us. Wow. You know, when we studied the book of Genesis, we talked about types. I don't know if you remember that or not, but we talked about types, that different people in the book of Genesis represent other people in the Bible. And we said that Joseph was a type of Christ. Joseph becomes a type of Christ, and we discussed this. And one of the ways Joseph becomes a type of Christ was the way he was treated by his brethren. And that's what I want to point point out now. Remember, Joseph was rejected by his brothers the first time. They sold him into slavery. Christ came to earth. He came into his own. And what does his own do to him? They rejected him. They rejected him miserably. But look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, and the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers. I got news for you. If you keep with this type study, if you keep with this type study, Jesus was rejected by the Jews the first time. He was rejected by them, not accepted. But when He returns to establish His kingdom, He will be made known to them. And look what Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on Me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for Him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Zechariah, starting in this chapter, he says, hey guys, Israel, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. The Lord is coming down. A better day is coming. The Lord who will reign as king over the entire earth. God will pour his mercy and his grace out of the entire house of David. House of David represents the Jews, the Israelites. God will pour his spirit out. And he says, these are the special promises I have for you, Israel. You will have my spirit of grace and supplication. Israel doesn't get it. Throughout the years, they've been accursed. Throughout the years, they've been oppressed. You can look back in history how many times they've been persecuted their entire lives. God predicted this. God predicted this persecution. Why? Because they rejected him. They rejected God. But he's saying there's a day coming when all this is going to change. They shall look upon whom they've pierced. David wrote in Psalm 22 that they pierced my hands and my feet. Zechariah says when they look at Jesus, when they see him, they look at him in acceptance and recognition. They realize who he is. The veil that has been on their eyes for so long is torn away. It's lifted. And they recognize the mistake they made. They will receive Jesus as the Messiah. They will look to him in repentance. They'll mourn for him as one who mourns for a son, the firstborn who was killed. What a beautiful picture we get here of Israel coming to repentance for Jesus. That happens when Jesus returns to earth and steps foot on the earth for his millennial reign. Their recognition, their their recognition and and, and repentance, the receiving of Jesus as the Messiah ushers in a whole new age. It's called the millennial reign. But we can look at this and we get a beautiful picture of salvation for us here. A beautiful picture of salvation. Salvation that is available to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. First of all, it comes by the work of God's Spirit. Salvation comes by the work of God's Spirit. It comes by looking at Jesus and recognizing him for who he is, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the forgiver of sins, the one who bore your sin. It comes by coming to repentance. and Repentance simply means changing your mind about who Christ is. It comes by making Jesus the king of your life. Salvation, salvation for us. We see this type in Genesis being played out. When Joseph is revealed to his brothers, they weep with mourning and remorse. Joseph even becomes a savior to them because if it wasn't for Joseph, they'd have all starved because of the famine. Stephen looks at the Sanhedrin. He says, the message is very plain. You have a habit of rejecting people who've come to save you. You have a big habit and a bad habit, Israel, of rejecting people who God sends you. Why don't you just wake up and stop rejecting Jesus? But see, it was God's plan that they would reject. Just as they rejected Joseph, it was God's plan. Stephen tells the council that by selling Joseph, it was God's plan. He went to Egypt where he could interpret dreams. And because of this, everything played out. And it paved the way for his family to come down there, just as God's plan. Just as God's plan. It was God's plan that the Jews would reject Jesus. You know what? We need to be pretty thankful that it was God's plan that they rejected him. Because the gospel was then given to us, the Gentiles. And we can come in. You know, sometimes God's plan goes against our finite thinking. Sometimes we think that when we're obedient and we live this Christian life, that certainly we're going to be spared certain trials and certain troubles. We think, well, I've been obedient. I've been a good Christian. I've been a good boy. But that's not necessarily God's plan. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says about this. I'm going to read to you a couple of things here. We tend to think that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something, and if we are obedient to him, he will lead us to great success. We should never have that the thought that our dreams of success are God's purpose for us. In fact, his purpose may be exactly the opposite. Ever think about that? God's purpose for you might be the opposite of success? We have the idea that God is leading us toward a particular end or a design goal, but he is not. The question of whether we not arrive at the particular goal is of little importance, and reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. What we see is only a process of reaching a particular end. God seizes the goal all along. So what's your vision of God's purpose for you? Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and to depend on his power right now. Not in the future, but right now. This is the only time I can depend upon him. If I stay calm, if I stay faithful, and I'm unconfused while in the midst of a trial or turmoil, the goal, the purpose of God's life is accomplished. His purpose is the process itself. What he desires is for me to look at him and see him walking on the water. See him calming the storm of my life. See him in charge of my total life. And he wants me to see that, and he wants me to be assured that he works all things together for good for those that love him. That's my assurance. See, we're in training. But that training is not for future. That training is for right now. I look at the clock, and it's 11.15. I can only trust God, guess what, at 11.15. I can't trust him for 11.13, although I hope I did. I can't look forward and say, well, I'm going to trust him today at 3.30 and wait till the watch comes. 3.30, I'm trusting in you right now, God. No, I trust him moment by moment by moment. I walk moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. That's how my walk is, and I trust in him. Every single walk along the way, I'm trusting in a Savior, a loving Savior. His purpose is for me every minute, not in the future. We have nothing to do with what follows when we do obedience, and we're wrong to concern ourselves with it. What people call preparation, God sees as the goal. So just because you're obedient, don't expect God to act in a certain way. God is infinite, and we are finite. His plans are not our plans. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God is sovereign and does those things. Why Why did God start the nation Israel through Abraham? Because he could. He's God. He's sovereign. God's purpose is to enable me to walk in those storms of life right now. If I have a further goal in mind, I'm going to miss what's happening right now in my life, and I'm going to miss that. If I'm always looking ahead to that goal, for what is my prize? My prize is Jesus Christ. My prize is Him right now in my life, and that's the prize I'm looking for. And that's what Paul says, looking towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. God wants us there. Because he wants to be with us, and that's the prize I'm looking for, being with God. But without God, there's no prize. There's no prize. And then Paul says to us, in Colossians 1.27, I said we'd get here, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Unio mystica, we learned in the uh, Truth Project. The glorious mystery of God in us. Huh? We don't know how it happens. We don't know why God would choose to come in and dwell in us but it does. It's the wonder of this glorious abiding. But this wonder was not clearly revealed in the Old Testament, especially that the Gentiles would abide. Gentiles? We were considered dogs. We were considered barbarians. We were considered outcasts, and the Jews didn't want any part of us. They, they thought us, yuck. They wouldn't even share a table with us. They wouldn't eat with us. We even had our own place in the temple to worship. Even if we were converts, we were still Gentiles. Unio Mystica, God dwelling in the Gentiles. This must drive Israel nuts. It must drive them crazy that the Gentiles are claiming to be children of God. God is revealed in us. He's revealed in us through Jesus Christ. There's a Latin term for the hidden God. It's Deus abscondidos. That means God that cannot be clearly seen or known. There's a theological term for the revealed God, and that's Deus revelatus. In Jesus, we have both the hidden God and the revealed God. He's both, and he's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. He is our hope. He's the Christian's hope. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how powerful I am or think I am. It matters on him. He's the one that counts. It's him in me, him giving this, and this is my hope, his abiding presence. And this is what I want. And I got news for you. This is where my peace is. His abiding presence in the midst of the storm is where my peace is. Though the world may fall apart, though I may kick and scream and yell and holler because I don't get my way, but God is still in control and his love never fails. Christ never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We're not alone. Stephen is saying, he makes it quite clear, nation Israel, you don't get it. And you know what? Your forefathers didn't get it either. And I I immediately thought about the United States of America. You know... Our forefathers got it. They came here and established a country based on biblical principles. They came here and established a country based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's us who don't get it. Our forefathers got it. Now we here in this country are doing everything we can to throw God out. Let's get rid of God. Let's get rid of him off our money, out of our schools, everywhere. Let's just get rid of this God. We're the ones throwing him out. Our patriarchs, the forefathers of our country, wanted God in everything. There's an interesting scripture today that we looked about where Stephen says that there were 75 people that came down to Egypt with the family. And if you look back in Genesis 46, 27, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, Dave, we have one of those famous contradictions in the Bible because in Genesis 46, 27, it said only 70 people came down. Aha! I told you this thing was false. Now, Stephen is a Hellenist, and Hellenist is a Greek Jew, Naturally, he's reading the Greek version of the Bible, which is what? The Septuagint. In the Septuagint, it says 75, because they counted all of Joseph's sons and his grandchildren, which were five. Add the five to the 70 that came down in Hebrew, 75. There's no contradiction. Stephen makes this indictment against Israel, because they believed in the works of the law. They believed in the rituals and the traditions of men. They believed that the things that made you spiritual and holy were works. They believed this. He says, you've missed it. It's all by faith. So if we try to summarize what we learned, he reminds them that how mean-spirited the beginning of the nation was, that these 12 patriarchs whom you idolized, whom you revered, they were really kind of nasty guys. And you've carried that meanness on now all through your lives. You've rejected everybody that God has sent you. And it's only a miracle by God's grace that they were even spared. And you can't even see that. You can't see that it was God that spared them. You can't see that. Your own God. All the prophets that come have spoken about being brought out of Egypt. But this was in contempt of God's law you were brought out. And we urge you that, you know what, don't be contempt of the gospel of Christ, Stephen says. Your patriarchs were wicked by envying their brother and selling him and doing those terrible things. Just like you've been wicked to Christ and all the ministers of Christ that will come forth. And then the land. You doted so much over the land. We talked last week how Israel is still fighting over their land. They think it's so important. Don't get me wrong. It's important to a point, but isn't the presence of God more important? Israel's lost it, and they're still fighting with it. It's not our home, Abraham said. I'm a sojourner. It's not my home. Abraham. The only place Abraham had in part of the land was what? His plot, his funeral plot. So where did he get to spend death? In the earth, in the land. Big deal we know he's with God, but that's the only, guy, the only thing he got. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, five says this, for we know that our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. That's what I'm looking for. This old tent, believe me, it's failing me now. It will continue to fail and it'll eventually be gone and I'll have a home that's not made with hands. A presence with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, And I will be with him forever, Scripture says. Everything Stephen pointed to, pointed and answered the question to Israel's problem. He said, Israel, this is your problem. You've rejected your king, you've rejected Messiah, and you've rejected your God. I'm sure that made them very happy to hear that. He said, you think works are going to get you salvation? It didn't work for Abraham. Abraham came by faith. You're working the wrong way. And Israel, every single prophet, every single deliverer, every single person coming, including the Savior of the world, guess what? You reject it. And he said, and you continue to reject today. Let me close with a parable that Jesus taught about this very subject. A parable that can be found in Luke 20, verses 9 through 18. I'm going to read it. It's the parable of the wine dresser. And see if this doesn't ring a bell. And can, you can clearly see who Jesus is talking about here. A certain man planted a vineyard leased it to wine dressers and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the wine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the wine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant and they beat him also, treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And again, they sent a third and they wounded him and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? Ha! Ha! I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the wine dressers saw him, they reasoned among others saying, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Then the inheritance will be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He asked. They say, he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Exactly what happened. He came and he gave the vineyard to others. We are the others, ladies and gentlemen. Israel still waiting, and look what it says. And he says to them this wonderful passage. He says, "What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has come the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder." Ooh, hope this doesn't describe your life today. I hope you're not in the process of rejecting. Jesus Christ. I hope you're not in the process of rejecting people who come and talk to you about Jesus Christ if you don't know Him. Because it says, if you don't fall on the stone, and we know from Scripture the stone is Jesus Christ, if we don't fall on Him and be broken, which means humbly coming to Him in a humble attitude, in humility, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise, being humble toward Him, Repentance, repentance takes humility, I did it, I'm sorry, coming to Him, repentant of that guilt, If we don't fall upon that stone in a humbleness, guess what? A stone is going to fall upon us. And it says it will grind powder. That doesn't sound too good. We need to humble ourselves. How many times have you heard God's word and rejected it? How many times have you heard the gospel and rejected it? How many times has God showed you your love and you've turned your back on him? How many times have you said to God, What have you done for me lately? How many times can you reject God in your life? I'm fearful. I fear. We talked about this great apostasy that's coming, or we might be in the midst of this great falling away. I'm fearful. If you don't know the truth, you could fall away. And then we're not guaranteed of anything, Chris Scripture says. It comes real crazy in the Scriptures. For every Scripture that says I'm guaranteed, I can find a Scripture that says I'm not guaranteed. But if you're abiding in Christ, you are guaranteed. If you're solely abiding in Christ, what does that look like? It looks like worshiping Him, praying to Him, reading His Word, trusting Him, obeying Him, walking in His Spirit. That's what he's saying. Don't walk around all day looking for where the boulder's coming from. Humble yourself before a loving, living God who wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you and to bring you into a glorious hope of a kingdom of God and my promise is to you that it won't make circumstances better. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. That's my promise to you. But it will give you a peace inside of heart, knowing that God is with you in the midst of the circus, and he works all things together for him. You might not be able to receive that. What the Scripture says and by faith we have to receive You are assured.
0: Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A sure Hope. Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Acts when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on Assure Hope.